This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Today we tip our hat to the wondrous plant that grows in our oceans. It's seaweed. We start off with a salute to Isabella Abbott, affectionately known as Auntie Izzy to some. She was homegrown, our first native Hawaiian botanist and the first to receive national recognition for her work with Limu. The University of Hawaii's Board of Regents recently decided to rename the new Life Sciences Building after Abbott, also called the First Lady of Limu. UH botanist Celia Smith was behind the groundswell to give Abbott the honor. Smith was inspired to continue her mentor's work and whose own Limu research is on the cutting edge. Here's a portion of our interview with Smith, who was just thrilled when the governor declared 2022 the year of Limu. I think this is a really important turning point in the management of marine resources here in the state for the people of this place to declare that Limu are important to the point that there's a nomination process apparently underway also for one of our native Limu to be declared the state Limu. As we have the state fish and tree and year of the reef and all of that, we finally might be through the community grassroots efforts able to raise these important plants to the statue that they need from the cultural perspective, from the scientific perspective, the ecological perspective, from their many roles that they play on reefs. Well, there you go. I was was thrilled. (laughs) Finally. Exactly. Finally. And I think, frankly, Catherine, if it had come from the university, it wouldn't, that whole approach would not have been nearly as effective as coming from the grassroots there are over 20 different groups that work with Limu. The Hana community has been having a Limu festival. They're on their 11th Limu festival, I believe. And so there have been pockets of strong support and clear vision for the need for this as a way of marking the Hawaiian community as unique in the Pacific. It's adoration, love, and affection, as well as enjoyment in eating these plants is clear. And so... It is a way that we can start to bring some balance compared to the mainland forces that tend to run a lot of the management on, on our reefs here then only pay attention to coral and fish. But Limu so, needs it more than just its uh, 20 seconds of fame. <laughs> That's right. Exactly right. Well, you know, over the years, you know, we've done stories with you about your research with Limu. What are you working mm-hmm. on now? So at this point, I have two projects, one that's been finished for about a year, and I'm trying to find time to write the papers that should come from it. That study was commissioned by the ledge, actually, as part of the wastewater funding that was tied to Act 125. And then Act 132, our project was to use seaweeds as a probe for where wastewater from cesspools and septic tanks might actually be coming into the coastline. And so this was a project that we launched in the middle of COVID to survey areas that had been identified as potential targets for contamination by pollutants, high nutrients, and all the pathogens that come with wastewater that's untreated. We have 88 million gallons, no, sorry, 55 million gallons a day going into our ground that enters into the groundwater and flows to our coast. It's a staggering amount of pollution. The work that we did was efficient. We got four islands sampled. We met all of our goals except for travel to Kauai where we were hampered by COVID travel restrictions. And in the process, we can now map out the density of cesspools in an area and tell off of our data analysis, we can predict how much nutrient coming in from the wastewater signal or the wastewater sources from the cesspools that are Malka of these beach areas. That is an it's a in situ assessment across all the main Hawaiian islands except Molokai and I informs the policy as it moves forward for management of cesspools and septic tanks. That way we've got hard data so when they make mm-hmm. a move to close these cesspools on the coastline, yes. we have the numbers. Exactly. It's not just guess A lot of people are unwilling to accept a model. We tested the models, and we have a p-value. You know, the smaller the number, the more significant the finding. Our p-value is 10 to the minus 16. It's a very, very, very small number, which means we really, really, really have a strong relationship established between cesspools and the wastewater that comes to the coastline as a result of the study. 
So that's two years of my life in managing that with teams of people across Hawaii Island, Maui, Oahu, and small team on Kauai. It felt like it was a way that we could use the native and the invasive plant algae that we have on our coastlines to report back where the wastewater was in many of these places we were sampling. The algae we were actually sampling were the invasive species that don't belong here but thrive under those nutrient elevated nutrient conditions. So that's a little window of realization that as these dust pools are slowly closed over the next period of time by 2050, they are expected to be out by law. Our coastlines could be healed of invasive algae simply from taking that unfortunate extra nutrient out of the ecosystem. Well, you know, we have watched our patches of limu dwindle, I mean, mm-hmm. areas that were abundant, you know, are scarce now. Mm-hmm. There's so many pressures on our marine plant life, That's marine right. algae. And that is a point of concern, and the best way to get the evidence and data that we need is to build partnerships with the Kua folks and identify the algae, that the limu that they are worried about as vulnerable to being lost, and study them and contribute the science that's helpful in diagnosing what might be missing from the ecosystem or what might be present that's unfortunate. And with that, we have a really strong chance of merging science and culture in a way that's not common across the U.S., but is entirely appropriate here because, of course, to be a fan of these resources mean that you observe them in your day-to-day rhythms. You're using that process of chemo to observe and understand how Native Hawaiian community understands how these plants change over seasons. They understand how the plants grow. We can give them some numbers to that and maybe unfold some surprises as well that could help keep the natives intact, those native communities. That was Celia Smith, UH botanist, whose Limu research is helping us understand the effect of coastal cesspools on our reefs so we can better protect our nearshore ecosystems. Smith says the more we know, the more we can help it grow. Conversation and today we hanaho our series on seaweed. We spotlight a partnership between Hawaii Pacific University and community groups who are in effect our limu guardians. HPU's Oceanic Institute is best known for its research on fish and shrimp. Sean Moss is the director there. We're going to take water from the mullet pond and pump it into a 37 square meter raceway, which will then feed into the different limu tanks, and we're going to assess biofiltration capacity of the limu and growth rates of the limu. And we're gonna try and find limu that can effectively clean up the effluent discharge from either a fish pond, a shrimp pond, or a moi pond, and then grow the limu as a secondary cash crop or for outplanting by the Waimanalo limu hui. The Oceanic Institute just snared a federal grant of close to $200,000 to see if seaweed can help filter the fishery's water and then in turn use that seaweed to help fish ponds bolster their ecosystems. Sean Moss has tapped former HPU graduate Wally Ito to work with the community groups on the project. Here's Moss. The grant is funded by National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration through a competitive grant. And the goal of the grant is to try and assess the efficacy of using limu, different endemic species of limu, as a biofilter to help clean up aquaculture effluent from shrimp and fish farms here on Oahu and neighbor islands. So the the research goals are to run organically rich effluent from fish and shrimp ponds across a bed of different species of limu and and assess two things. One, how good are they at filtering out nitrogen and phosphorus from the effluent? And how how effective is the effluent as a growth medium to grow limu? So we'll make those assessments, and then what we'll do with the limu is we're gonna do several things with it. One, we'll provide it to Waimanalo Limu Hui, a local community organization that grows and collects and outplants limu into the 
local coastal environment. So we'll provide Waimanalo limuhui with the limu that we culture through this project. Now, limu in the wild, a lot of populations have been decimated for a variety of reasons. And limu provides very important ecosystem functions. They provide habitat for marine life. They provide food. They soak up dissolved nutrients, including carbon dioxide. So they're a good sequester of carbon. Um, so they provide all of the, these very important ecosystem functions. And through our project, and hopefully the scaling up of our results to commercial scale, we'll be able to provide a readily available source of limu for both outplanting and for direct uh, human consumption because, as we know, limu is a very important food here in Hawaii. So besides the Waimanalo limu hui, then who else do you think might benefit from this? So we have another community partner in addition to Waimanalo limu hui, and that's Paipai Oheia, who run the Oheia fish pond here in Kaneohe. We're going to be working with Keili'i out there to see if we can grow limu in the Hawaiian fish ponds, not from a fed aquaculture system like a fish or shrimp pond, but in situ in the environment of the fish pond. And can we design a system that accommodates different endemic limu species that grow well in the unique environment of Hawaiian fish ponds? And the limu grown in fish ponds provide, again, ecosystem services within the fish pond and as a secondary cash crop for the fish pond operators. This is our first foray into limu aquaculture Aquaculture. We do have uh, some small-scale research. One of the co-PIs on this project is Dr. Carrie Jones at Hawaii Pacific University in the Marine Sciences Department. She's had some students doing small-scale research studies, um, but not. we don't grow limu on a large scale, and that's why we're looking to Wally to help bring in the content expertise to help us design and manage and grow the limu. And so what's involved in the scale-up? I mean, will the money go toward actually constructing the tanks. So the grant funds will be used to produce the shrimp and fish from which we'll get the effluent. The monies will be used to design and develop limu culture systems and water delivery systems, effluent delivery systems. And then uh, we have some money budgeted for HPU graduate students to actually monitor the growth of the limu and very importantly, monitor nutrients coming in versus nutrients coming out of the limu tanks to assess the biofiltration capacity of the limu. So it'll be used to fund student work. What's the timetable? So the grant is for one year, and so we have 12 months to execute the, the scientific scope of work. At the end, we're going to hold a workshop with interested stakeholders here at OI, so the stakeholders will largely come from Oahu. At that meeting, we'll share our research results and try to provide any guidance we can on how aqua farmers can adopt our system to help clean up their effluent and grow limu. Will this then be the start of additional pipelines of funding to be able to then grow this up even more? Yes, I, that's a great question. We, we hope so. As, as we all know, uh, early January, Governor Ige declared 2022 as the year of the limu, so we're hoping this gives uh, a statewide attention to the importance of limu, something that Wally's been working on his entire professional life. Uh, he was instrumental in, in bringing uh, limu to the attention of, of the state government, and hopefully this will, this will provide uh, a catalyst for not only future research into limu aquaculture, but commercial scale-up of limu culture that provides both food and medicine to local communities, as well as outplanting to provide ecosystem services. Wally Ito, who the community calls Uncle Wally, shared that growing up as a spear fisherman, he never imagined becoming a limu lover. Seaweed seemed to just get in the way of fish and lobsters. But like the saying, take care of the land, it'll take care of you, the same could be said for limu. Take care of the limu and you take care of the fish. Here's Uncle Wally. The whole answer to restoration of fishery is from the bottom up. Restore our limu, bring back our limu, and if every trophic level above that will just naturally get better and produce more. For years, we've been talking or thinking about the integration of fish and limu in aquaculture. So when this opportunity came up, oh, I'm so happy, you know, just, just things that I've been thinking about for a long time. What types of limu are we going to be working on with this project? Okay, we've identified several already that will do well or 
in our tanks. And the main one and probably the most popular limu for us in Hawaii is the Ogo, or Gracilaria parvispora. Recently, we've been working with Huluhuluvaina, Gratalupia filicina, and we're finding that it does really well in our aquaculture tanks. Other limu would be Lepeahina, Palaminia formosa. Okay, and for those of us who are not familiar with these scientific names, uh, are we talking about red seaweed, brown seaweed, green seaweed? So most of the ones I've named so far are red. We're also planning to use a green palahalaha. There are folks that are working on fish ponds on so many different islands, on Molokai, you know, just, uh, you know, here on Oahu. And they really have done a remarkable job when you see the restoration that's that's been going on. But they just need that little extra oomph, I guess. I'm pretty excited about this entire project, but another exciting thing for me is the, the partnership with Heia Fish Pond. Well, many years ago, I did a preliminary study of growing the Ogo in the Heia Fish Pond. And there were a lot of lessons learned. We weren't very successful, but the conditions have changed. Yeah, the Heia Fish Pond crew, they've done so much to restore the fish pond. So the environmental factors have changed. And so it's kind of like repeat of the effort. This was in 2005, 2006. So this is like a repeat of the effort with a lot better conditions and a lot more knowledge. We've learned a lot since then. So for me, the biggest factor of our, I wouldn't call it failure, but the biggest factor for our not being able to be successful in 2006 was those of us that were here in Hawaii in that time. Remember the 40 days of big rain? And that, so that dropped the salinity in a fish pond down to five parts per thousand, sometimes even lower. And that's not good for, that's not good for the, the limu that we were trying to grow at that time. But like I said, we, we've learned a lot since then, and there are some limu that can handle lower salinity. So that's what we're hoping to look at and discover. And you know, there is this movement to kind of go back and, and tap the indigenous knowledge about managing our resources because we've done a good job of destroying a lot of of good resources and so i see that that there is i think political will now and what worked back then you know can work again i recently retired from kua kua aina ulu awamo as the limuhui coordinator and that's what kua has been advocating for for many many years the answers to our environmental issues Many of the answers can be found in what our Hawaiian ancestors knew and practiced. Part of the work, a big part of our work, has been to create awareness and, you know, create awareness within in our decision makers, in our city planners, city state planners, architects, developers, engineers, to understand that we are an island, and understand that the Ahupua system of resource management was, to me, it was magical in the past. And we've, we've moved so far away from that. And if we can go back to the old Hawaiian way of Ahupua resource management, then, um, you know, we can bring back a lot of our resources. Little did you know when you were at the hatchery that Limu could be part of that way of bringing it back. Yeah, and so it was a big part of my limu knowledge comes from Uncle Henry, Uncle Henry Chang-Wu, who taught a lot about limu, but he also did limu restoration effort in Ever Beach. And I was fortunate enough to have worked with him since 2005 until his passing in 2015 to do limu outreach, limu education and awareness. Learned a lot about that, and we try to continue his work till today. Are they doing anything in Eva that I should know about? As far as limu restoration, no, Uncle Henry did a, almost, uh, Uncle Henry and other kupuna started the Eva Limu project. And to do, uh, it, was, it was a two-prong approach in limu restoration. One was actually physically trying to plant limu out in a place where it was used to be known as a house of limu. Many, many people, even if they're not from Eva Beach, yeah, my generation or older, if, you know, when we talk about limu, wherever parts of the island they come from, when we talk about limu and harvesting limu, they always, we always hear, yeah, yeah how, well, it was known as haubush, but they always talk about haubush, how plenty limu had over there, yeah. A big part of what the Ever Limu Project is doing in Onewula today is to kilo. It's important for us to go often to 
watch the limu. There's still rich places with a rich bed of limu on the Oneolo shoreline. Uh, so we go as often as we can. We take a group of people, um, use it as a teaching tool, but also, but mainly to continue to observe. And in the old Hawaiian style, yeah, you got a kilo. You don't, you cannot manage what you don't know. And the way to know it is to be there. You cannot learn. It's so difficult to learn through books, through storytelling. The best way to learn about your resources to be there, be in the, be in the trenches. And so will any of that limo that's out there in EVA be somehow used then in this project? Possibly. We have sources of limu that we rely on now. There has been a building interest in other communities who are interested in learning about the limu in their place. And, and you know, it's a sad story that limu has taken a backseat for maybe three at least three generations. In that three generations, we've lost a lot of knowledge. And to the point where communities are asking us to come to their place and to, to, share, to share what we know. But for us, it's a two-way sharing. So we've gone to communities and, talk, and walk with community members. But the hope is that something that's, well, at least in my mind, that's missing is the education system. And, you know, when we talk about creating awareness in our legislators, and it, it starts with the lack of curriculum or resource management curriculum from, from the beginning. And if we can spark an interest in kids from the elementary school and cre create awareness in, in them, then the hope is that that awareness and interest would carry on through and possibly, you know, move on to careers in resource management, in aquaculture. And so that's one of the big hopes that, for me, that will come out of this, that we start educating more people. Uncle Wally also has a long relationship with the state's Anui Nui Hatchery, which to this day provides limo to community groups. Stay tuned. Coming up in the show, we take you out to Waimanalo to learn more about the limuhui and the work they do to restore a turtle pond and the limu patches along the coast. If you're just joining the conversation, we're replaying our series on Hawaii seaweed. Stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Hey, it's Francis Lamb, host of The Splendid Table. This week, it's a live event on the incredible food culture of Hawaii. We talk with Top Chef star Sheldon Simeon, James Beard award-winning chef Robin Ma'i, and many more guests trying to find out why Hawaii is maybe the best place on earth to eat. It's coming up on The Splendid Table. Beginning Saturday morning at nine, following weekend edition. Support for HPR comes from Hakawone, committed to building a neighborhood in Kaka'ako Makai where all are welcome, offering keiki and kupuna care, and including a cultural center, farmer's markets, and housing options. Hakawone.com. Two groups celebrated the Year of the Limu and community efforts to elevate the important place seaweed has in our marine environment. 
They gathered at the Bishop Museum to mark the event. Among those in attendance, members of the Waimanalo Limuhui. It will be one of the beneficiaries of a federal grant awarded to Hawaii Pacific University's Oceanic Institute that hopefully will be a boost to its efforts to restore the Limu patches on the windward side of Oahu. We spent part of the morning with the Hui as volunteers learn how to make Limu lei. It begins with pounding lauhala to make cordage. So how do we appreciate what we're doing comes from just hands-on at every single stage of the, the process, right? So it's not just to come in and celebrate. A lot of people, they just like show up for plant the trees, but nobody come back for water. Yeah, so same idea here. You want to make le? Go start over there where you guys got to make your own string, right? And then growing the limu. Like there's so much back of the house stuff that happens in order for these things to take place for people. We want to make sure everyone understands the whole process not just the processes that you get to celebrate when you guys come in, right? Ikaika Rogerson is head of the Waimanalo Limu Hui. He was out at Kaiona Beach early on this particular weekend. The group begins at 8 a.m. sharp. Members have gotten up extra early to set up tents and chairs and have hauled bins of limu from Sea Life Park. The Waimanalo Limu Hui started in November of 2017. It was the wishes of some of our kupuna in the community to see limu as abundant as it used to be when they were kiki here in Waimanalo. So we decided to start the Waimanalo Limu Hui to start restoring some of what once was as far as limu goes in Waimanalo Bay. And what type of limu do you generally plant out here? According to some of the kupuna, we know a few species that were prevalent here in Waimanalo. And if you look at some of the street names, they tell us, you know, or the name of the wind here is Lipu'upu'u, and that was the type of limu that used to be here. So we try to get what we know used to be here. I mean, I understand that the conditions may no longer be exactly the same as it used to be in the 50s or 60s, but we're trying to regrow the same varieties that used to be here before. And the limu is produced where? So the Waimanalo Limu Hui has a partnership with Sea Life Park here in Waimanalo. And they're allowing us to use some of their space, the seawater and stuff, to be able to grow our own limu stock. And growing it here in the community is important because the limu that we're growing is already ma to the seawater here in Waimanalo. Rather than getting it from somewhere else like Anuinui Fisheries on Sand Island or somewhere like the limu already knows the salt water here and the content here so we know that it's going to have a better chance of survival when we outplant them. And so what's involved in the process when the group gathers here? So when the group gathers here we'll do opening circle. We have whatever limu we have growing in the tank and it's seasonal so it could be some different types of limu. We often teach cordage because we use cordage to be able to make the limule. The cordage we're using today is made of ulehala or the root of the pandanus or hala tree that we pound out and make cordage. So we're going to be using that today to intertwine them with limu. Somebody will probably go out and pick some hand-sized rocks to be able to tie those limule around. They're pretty much an anchor to keep them from floating away and then outplant them right here into the channel. And the hopes are that the, the subores that are on all of this limu will spread downwind and down current and throughout the rest of Waimanalo Bay instead of concentrating so much here at Kayona where it's easier to host the workday. Some of your members also work with restoring the pond nearby. So in 2018, we got the permit to restore Pahono, which is a, the only known turtle pond here in, in the state. What we do is on quarterly workdays, we usually host both a limo and a pahono restoration workday. And prior to COVID, we would have up to 300 people in the community showing up just to work on limo and pahono. Originally, when we were out planting limo, we would plant them on the remnants of what used to be pahono. So we figured it was only right if we were going to outplant them there on the remnants that we would take care of pahono as well. I've seen it built up but we have rough waves. <laughs> they get all knocked down again. So where we're situated here in Waimanalo is on the east side. We have no protection of any sort. We're sort of in the lee of Rabbit Island, which I'm assuming was what, why the Kupuna built it, where they built it. But other than that, when the winter comes, like we get winter swells that come from the north and take some of the wall down. For us, we don't mind so much. It gives us more opportunity to build and teach others the practice of uhau humupuaku or Hawaiian dry stacking. 
HPU and the Oceanic Institute, I know, just got a grant, and they're trying to figure out if some of the limu that they have can be given to you folks. You know, they're, they're trying to help out with the, the fish ponds and this project here. How much of a boost will that be, you think, for your efforts? The Waimanalo Limuhu is only one of three projects that I know that are doing active restoration. We're the only one here on Oahu. There's one on Kauai and one on Lanai. And Uncle Wally Ito provides all of us at least the limu stock, not everyone. We're the only ones that have the opportunity to grow our own limu here in Waimanalo, but the others don't. So Uncle provides that stock to those other projects. He's getting older, so by having somebody else that can help to provide limu or grow limu for these projects, it allows for others to be able to have this type of opportunity in their own communities. What do you think about this effort? I mean, to, to try and connect with the different local groups, you know, I mean, I know you know, on Molokai, when we talk about the fish ponds, I know Walter Riddy says, oh, we need help growing mullet to stock the ponds, you know, and HPU's doing that. So, you know, I mean, hopefully there can be these connections made so that we can get these fish ponds back up again. Actually, our, our nonprofit is Kikulanui Wamanalo, and the Wamanalo Limuhui is one of the programs of Kikulanui Wamanalo, but Kikulanui Wamanalo, or NO for short, is part of a organization called KUA. It stands for KUA Aina Ulu Awamo. And they host the larger statewide limo organization. So at least once a year, we all get to connect. And we're fortunate to be part of their second network, which is the local IA network as well, since we take care of Pahono. So we're able to, you know, gather and be able to see all of these other practitioners, see what everyone else is doing. There is a project down at Waikalua local fish pond in Kaneohe where Kai Fox has a grant that he's got a small hatchery that he's trying to work on, taking water from the fish pond, growing out some mullet to be able to help restock all of these other fish ponds throughout the state. And if that's successful, then that's something that we could probably replicate on other islands so that we're not transporting fish from one island to another, but each island would be more self-sustainable in that manner and be able to grow their own stock to restock all of their fish ponds. Same goes with Limu and HPU. Being able to have all of these resources, we would be able to help restock them as well. It must make you feel good, though, to see the progress that has made, you know, just since you started doing this. Like, we're astonished every time people come out. Like, we've had people come from the Big Island. We've had stories done on us, and people come from the mainland to be able to participate in some of these restoration efforts. And so we're amazed that the word gets out and people are traveling just to come to our events. And there's oftentimes where Kupuna from Big Island are coming to find out how can they learn what we're doing to be able to do that in their own community. But access to Limo is definitely a game changer. Without it, doing a Limo restoration project is almost impossible. We've been hearing from Ikaika Rogerson with the Waimanalo Limuhui, and we salute the many hands who come to volunteer and those who teach the greater community how to help restore the nearshore ecosystem. Check for links on how to volunteer on the conversation page of our website later today. looking at stories that we aired last December as the year of the Limu drew to a close, we now spotlight a community program that marshals volunteers across the state to help restore a fish pond. It's a sea turtle pond to be exact. Pahonu is located out Waimanalo Way. Kimi Onakane works with the Waimanalo Limuhui to organize monthly community workdays to help rebuild stone walls of the pond and to encourage the growth of limu patches. Kane explains to the group once they make their limu lei, the garlands are wrapped around large stones to be placed around the fish pond enclosure, growing food for our honu. The intention of the limu lei is to really get some of this really spore-rich limu. But we are very specific. We're looking for the limu that has the spores that are ready to just 
put it out there, right? So we put it out into the water. And so part of that natural process is to be consumed by the animals that's in the water, right? And that kind of helps to push that to the system and then move that out into the bay. Uh, Limu for us is one of the fundamentals when it comes to uh, the health of our bay. We used to have a lot of limo in Waimanalo. Uh, without keeping the, the ecosystem in, in check and in balance, we run into a lot of invasive algaes now, and none of the fish really care to eat that. So our limo is very specific. They like what they like, and when they don't have it, they just cease to exist. And so it's important that we uh, think about that as we progressively work in restoration of the bay. It's a learning experience for all those who gathered here every month, and you're rewarded with a deeper understanding about the community connection to the land and the sea. Standing along the shoreline, we take deep breaths before beginning the work in the ocean. Reflect on your intentions, reflect on your blessings that you shared earlier, reflect on the, what do you want your life to do? What is it going to serve in this space? What is the next hour or so of your time going to serve? Think about those things. Kimi Onakane says the hui is just getting back to gathering in larger numbers as we work our way out of the pandemic. A core group has kept up with the work during the shutdown, but it's looking forward to raising the awareness about the work they do and the appreciation for environmental solutions that Hawaiian culture offers. We're all a part of the same. There's a few of us that focus on limu specifically, and then there's a group of us that focus on pahonu and the restoration of rock work. Okay. And so tell us, how often are you out here? We are out here weekly. So we come out in smaller groups during the week, and then we host different kind of organizational work out here for community members, schools, the general public. And then we come out on the monthly, on the second Saturdays, is our volunteer days. And I've seen you out here on Sundays, too, building sometimes. Yeah, that's correct. We've had some adjustments in our schedule as we work on other projects around the island. If we don't have to be at those specific sites, then we'll have the opportunity to come out here on Sundays again. Sunday was our normal work day before the pandemic, yeah. And then uh, we carried through that, and now as things start to open up, we're starting to develop more educational learning spaces around the island with different partners and groups. And so we uh, teach holly work in other areas, and that's kind of what we commit our Sunday too as well. And so uh, what's the plan for today? You folks have made some limule mm -hmm. and you're going to put some out on the wall? Yeah, the intention for us today is to, uh, now that some of the participants have woven their leis, their lei limu, we're going to go ahead and take them out to Pahonu. We will put them out into the space the same way that we would be doing out here by wrapping them around a stone and then going out and giving them an opportunity to do it within the pond wall and that pond sanctuary space that we're creating. And then from there, we'll most likely be doing some additional rock work just to end some of the work day and then uh, we'll, we'll go into some just sharing after that. When I last saw it, it was pretty built up. Yes. <laughs> but we have the winter waves. Yeah, we've definitely been impacted by our recent north swell. And that's really why we build. We build through about 10, 9, 10 months a year and, and really practice and hone our skill set just to be tested by this winter swell. And so part of our practice is this understanding that it works in tandem with what the elements are doing and that's the greatest teacher for us is what happens in the ocean and how that impacts us is it gives us an opportunity to reflect on how we've built, what engineering styles we might need to be more considerate of and uh, then we go back and we reweave it. And then as far as the turtles returning to this area, Yes, turtles for us is a very important piece of pahonu, obviously. It's significant for us to see the turtles returning. We also recognize though that just because we've built a wall that's called pahonu and the pond called pahonu doesn't mean that the ecosystem itself can sustain 
the turtles in this space. And so part of the function of Limu and putting Limu back and really working the community into the understandings of the ecology within the bay is really helpful for us to determine how much we can hold as far as our turtles. We want to create an environment for them that they feel comfortable and they feel safe in and that they can be fed from. And that's all kinds of things that we're working on in terms of trying to bring the turtles back into place here. Yeah. So it's not so much a pond where the turtles nest or anything like that, but you are seeing them more in numbers in this area? Correct, yes. This is not known to be a pond where they would come up and beach and nest. What we see as far as sand is very seasonal and so that's not a known space for them. We are seeing them come back in numbers on the outer skirts of the pond and what we like to think is that we're creating enough ecosystem from the rock wall that's bringing in some of the limu functions and these turtles are very inquisitive and coming back into that nature. We also think that some of these turtles might be the turtles that are being released from the sea project that we do at Sea Life Park, the turtle release project. And you know, this is where they were released into the ocean. So we understand that turtles naturally kind of migrate and then they come back to that same space. And so that might be what we're seeing as well. And it's Limu from Sea Life Park, right? <laughs> it is, it's Limu from Sea Life Park. It's Limu from the bay here. It's about connecting all of those resources back together and just continuing to build on sustainable relationships. So if people want to get involved and help out with this project? The best way to get involved with project work that we do here is to follow the Waimanalo Limuhui on Instagram, on Facebook. Definitely send us some emails or send us any kind of messaging when you're interested. Generally, we have a work day for Limu every month, and then we have a work day for Pahonu every month, and it's open to the public to participate for sure. That was Kimiona Kane, a member of Waimanalahui, who leads volunteers out to the Pahonu Fish Pond to help restore our bay. It's a monumental effort by many hands. Look for links to the group on the conversation page of our website later today if you're interested in learning more. And a reminder, they like to start promptly at 8 a.m. Tune to the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. We're broadcasting Limu stories today. Next up, we'll hear about an effort to begin surveying the Limu patches of Kaho'olawe. University of Hawaii ethnic studies professor and historian Daviana McGregor wrote a grant for the community project. The group went out for the first time last summer. They had planned a visit to the island at the end of the year, but bad weather canceled the trip. Noelani Punivai is a ecologist and an assistant professor at the UH Kamakaolani Center for Hawaiian Studies. She joined us to talk about why the Limu survey is so important to the healing of the island, which the military used to bomb for training for 50 years. The class is called Kia'i Kanaloa, and it's how do we support the communities and the people who are the ones on the ground trying to steward and protect our marine ocean resources. And so we worked with Protect Koholawe Ohana to figure out what their needs were on island and to look at their Iola Kanaloa, their management plan for the island. And one of that was to understand the marine resources. And so my students worked with Auntie Davy and they came to understand that they wanted to do some limu surveys to understand how healthy the resources were on island. And through that collaboration, they wrote to just do two small huaka east of Koholawe to bring the limu hui together with the Protect Koholawe Ohana kua members specifically the Ka'aya Kanaloa, that hui is, you know, dedicated to protecting the marine and understanding the marine resources on Koho'olawe. And we wanted to help them in their mission. And so they wrote this grant to bring all the huis together to just try and understand the limu resources and if they're healthy and abundant or what may be preventing them from being abundant near Hakioawa, near the home base of the PKO. And so what part of the island are we talking about with this survey? So Hakiwava is the home base for the Proteko Ho'olawe Ohana, and that's where they've been accessing for the last few decades. And that is the side that faces Maui, so it's sort of northeast, north kind of facing shores. And primarily we wanted to survey places that they access. They do gather limu when they're on island for protocol and for food, and they wanted to ensure that they weren't over-harvesting or how they understood, you know, what the resources health was like from where they were harvesting. So we were trying to survey areas that we could walk pretty much from base camp, but we also wanted to start surveying areas 
where they're expanding to. So they have an alaloa that's been really well developed where they can walk around you know, many parts of the island now, especially for the makahiki ceremony. And so we were going to also visit some of those bays where they do sit and where they hope to gather to feed themselves in the future. So some of the areas to the northwest side, like for the Lanai side. And so what type of limu are we dealing with in this survey? Oh, we're just trying to see everything that's present. Of course, we want to know about the limu that they gather. And they do gather, you know, usually limu kala is one of the very important species for protocol and ceremony. Limu kohu is something that everyone loves to enjoy and eat. But we really were just trying to understand the variety of limu that was abundant there. And if there are any kind of rare species or unique species. We looked at all the previous surveys that have been done on island over time by other people. And then also trying to see if all those species that were present in the past are present today. We also try to see if there is invasive species, which we didn't see any of. So it seems like the limu resources, they have a huge variety of different limu species present. You know, the big focus for Ka'olawe is really healing after being used, you know, for target practice by the military. But what are the concerns about unexploded ordnance when you do go out there and check the reefs? Yeah, so we only do access areas that have been cleared, but yes, going underwater, has not been cleared. So that is something we have to be very careful of. In most of the survey work that we've been doing, we really are just walking along the shoreline and looking at those exposed areas. And that's why it was done with a lot of kua present, so a lot of the koho'olave present. It is going to be a big concern as we try to expand surveys. Anything that we do underwater, we have to be very careful that we're not touching the substrates and making sure everyone's aware of the concerns for sure. And so you were unable to do a winter check just because of the weather. What's the plan for 2023? When do you think you might be able to get back out there again? Part of the purpose of the grant was to create some methods and create a baseline so that when the PKO themselves, the KUAs, have their monthly access trips or when they do their different trips, that they're empowered to understand how to monitor the limu. Right now, we're probably, since we missed the winter season, are going to be trying to go back in the spring and then that will give us a replicate of what we saw last year. And so at least we'll be able to see how consistent some of these patterns are. Limu is such an amazing species where just because you see it one day and you don't see it the other, it doesn't mean there's something wrong, right? It has, it comes and goes, it's patchy, it has seasons, it shifts. And you just need to be present with Limu to understand all that, to understand if it's abundant or not, or what might be keeping it from being abundant. So a lot of what we're doing is just trying to understand Kind of the life cycle and just the ola of the limu itself and what we can expect for it. So I hope that a lot of the products that were kind of come from this project is just giving communities and giving the PKO different methods and different resources to understand their limu. There's not really any baseline studies for limu abundance in the state. No one really monitors limu abundance. There aren't sites that have been monitored over years to see how they grow. It's such a kind of a cryptic species. Yeah, it lives in that Hina zone along the shoreline where it comes and goes and ebbs and flows. We hope that by going back in the spring, we can start setting up some permanent monitoring systems. But really, it's the conversations that occur and just people's focus and attention on Limu that we're looking for so that we know how important it is to support the rest of the health of the ecosystem and the rest of the marine species that depend on them. And this grant that you folks were able to get, how long does it go for? So we got a grant from NOAA's Marine Education and Training Grant. So that's where that education and training is trying to create some more Limu ID guides and Limu books, different resources for other communities to monitor their Limu. And it was only supposed to have been a one-year grant. (laughs) And so we've been very, very fortunate that they've allowed us to extend the grant this year. And right now we're hoping to finish up by the summer of 2023. So it would allow us to do that next spring one And also for, I'm teaching the course again this coming spring, and my students are going to be tasked with creating a lot of outreach products and a lot of resources for communities, ID books and ID guides, Limu presses, all those things that we can continue to engage our communities with the love of Limu and that being, you know, some of the main products of the the project. I tried to stress in the grant that the purpose wasn't to create a standardized monitoring method. The purpose was to have the conversations around how important our limu is to us and how do we understand its abundance and its health and the way it grows and what are the challenges that it's facing. And the only way you know that is by being present and having people who are, you know, really peely to a place like the 
cool members of the Protekohala of Ohana. You know, they love this place. They've, they've been on this island consistently for decades. They have this ingrown knowledge about that place. And then connecting them with people who know their limu and just giving that space for those conversations to happen. So we're really grateful that the grant allowed us to have that space for these conversations to begin. It's really all about sharing that knowledge with the communities across the state. Yeah, people love limu, and we want people to love limu. If we love eating fish, we have to know how important our limu is. And just having those conversations so that people start understanding how everything is related and connected. When the governor named 2022 the year of the limu, what was the, the feeling from the community about that, the fact that it was elevated? I love reading old stories about our ocean resources, and I love listening to old kupuna talk about it. And every older kupuna talks about how much they love limu and the smell of limu and the taste of limu. And we know about all the books of eating limu. And I think just that recognition of how important limu was to Hawaii. And Auntie Izzy Abbott, she always declared that Hawaiians, you know, were the biggest lovers of limu in the world. And we started to forget that. We started to think that poke was our favorite thing to eat. And by him declaring this the year of the limu, it helps us go back to the pico, back to our source, and knowing what our ono is, and our ono is for limu. And the ono for limu, you know, ensures that our marine fisheries are abundant and that our people are eating healthy food. We've been talking to Noelani Punibai, faculty member at UH, who is working on the limu survey on Koho'olawe. That does it for today's special Hana Ho of our series, which aired last December, celebrating 2022 as the year of the Limu. We have to go now, but we'd like to hear from you. You can call our talkback line and leave your comments. Here's a number, 808-792-8217. If you missed any part of the show or want to find a past one, find them all on the conversation page with links to more information about guests and topics. Look under HPR News and Talk for the conversation on hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday for more of the conversation.